0: Uh it's happening. Listen up, y'all. And with the sultry tones of Bryce Hensley just getting in there to lead us in welcome to Indie Ball Nation. My name is Ryan. You might know me from ALPB Roundup. You might know me from Indie Ball Nation. You might not know me at all. That's fine. Here at Indie Ball Nation, brand new project. Uh the goal is to feature Indie Ball teams, players, staff, fans, deep dive into everything from analytics to marketing to fandom experiences, whatever it is in the Indie Ball world you name it. I want to be talking about it, I want to be involved with it. I want to be talking about people who know it much better than I do, which is a good number of people, but we'll get into that later. Me, my background, well. Essentially, I mean, if you don't know me from AOPB Roundup, if you do, whatever the case may be, I started AOPB Roundup in January. I mean, I guess three years ago, almost to the day. Today's January 2nd, episode one. Uh, I started officially January 1st, 2020, which is a terrible time to start a site tracking league that did not play in the year 2020. Tough one. COVID got me. COVID won Ryan nothing. Um, yeah, it basically started because uh, I was super interested in any ball. I had, I've always followed major and minor league baseball. Uh My wife and I liked to go out to games, fiancé at the time, and uh, we, I don't know, we just saw we were in the Lancaster area, so we went to a Lancaster Barnstormers game, and the next week we went to a Somerset Patriots game, and the next week we went to a York Revolution game, and all of a sudden that was it. I was hooked. I loved it. Loved everything about mini ball. I loved the quirkiness, the players, the stories, the uh, variety of backgrounds people come from, I decided, you know, I want something that isn't just my normal Job, I want something else to look forward to outside of that. Started covering indie ball. Um, even, you know, it got to a point where after there was actual baseball played in 2021, I ended up working uh, with the team in the league for a year or uh, well in 2022. And then uh, now I'm back up here in Pennsylvania and I decided that, you know, indie ball should be explored in more than just a one league sort of way. So uh, I sort of rebranded, uh, hit the emergency break, took a left turn, and here you have Indie Ball Nation. And a lot of people seem excited about it. So uh, I'm excited about it too. I'm glad people seem to be matching that. And we have a lot of fun things we can do now that we're sort of opening up. And by we, I mean myself, guests I want to have on, uh, people I work with, you know, in leagues, around leagues, things like that. So it really opens the playing field up for what we can do here to have some fun. What we're trying to do though, shedding light on indie ball, what it is, who plays it and what's going on around the 70 plus organizations doing battle in this quarter, of the industry both on the field and off the field. So. Let's start by asking the basic question here. We'll have a little Indie Ball one on one, if you will. Let me break it down to basics for anyone new, any new friends, any of the familiar faces. You can just sit back, relax, and harshly judge how I describe Indie Ball to people. It's okay. I do it too. So it's fine. I'm just as guilty. So I'm not going to judge you for doing the thing. You judge me, and I won't judge you. And then I'll judge you when you do it. Feel me? We're good. We're doing great. First and foremost, a common misconception about Indie Ball is Indie ball is amateur ball. It is not. Indie leagues are very much professional baseball, and many of them have higher quality play than some of the minor leagues that you may be familiar with. The indie leagues exist outside of the affiliated baseball structure, as in like the affiliated major league baseball, uh, affiliated with major league baseball, so the minor leagues, if you will. Technically, this affiliation of independent and not affiliated will also uh, include major international leagues like the NPB, the KBO in Korea, uh, the Caribbean leagues, and the like. But when we talk about indie ball, well, we we me, you probably yeah are talking about is the seven notable indie leagues within the us and canada because usa does ha- or canada does have a thriving independent scene these leagues are full of a variety of players from a variety of backgrounds who are not on major or minor league rosters for a variety of reasons now what those reasons are many of them are just looking to get noticed by MLB teams will purchase their contract from their indie ball team and place the player somewhere in the minor league system Others, they're just looking to get picked up one way or another by a bigger indie league to bolster their chances at MLB scouts seeing them, but many other players fall into a different category depending on the league, especially if we're talking the American or the Atlantic League. Um, They're like career indie ball guys in a weird way of saying it, but also you got a mix of like former MLB guys, and then you have also mixed in. Um, You know, former MLB guys who aren't necessarily looking to get back to the show, but just sort of playing out the career. So it gets very, there's a lot of variety within even the varieties of the type of player, which is a great thing that Indie Ball brings to the table. And within the leagues, there's a lot of variety. As I've already mentioned, the American Association and the Atlantic League do have a different type of player. Now, They vary in on-field rules with familiar things like the zombie runner on second in extra innings and pitch clocks, as well as less familiar rules like the home run shootout style knockout round used in place of extra innings in the Pioneer League. They also vary in rules for managing rosters and in turn talent levels across each league. The big four, as I call them, the Atlantic League, the American Association, the Frontier League, and the aforementioned Pioneer League, these four leagues range in talent and types of player largely due to roster restrictions in each league these roster restrictions guess what they vary from league to league of course they can also be as simple as you know monthly team salary caps like the atlantic league has to the uh limits on how many experienced and veteran players you can have so you only have so many players who have played this many years or this many years or this many years and um that's when you really start to see some very creative roster work and um you know, a lot of new faces and a lot of opportunity for younger players, which is another thing that's great about independent baseball. These variations continue into the other three indie leagues. I haven't mentioned them yet. The United Shores Professional Baseball League, the Empire Professional Baseball League, and the Pecos League have a lower level of play, but they often showcase very talented players who will find their way into other leagues. That That's where you tend to find guys whose main purpose is finding their way into another indie league to get noticed by MLB scouts. Well, uh, since we're discussing talent, let's you know there's a good bit of fluctuation oops variety uh within each league but generally we might as well talk about it the atlantic league and the american association are seen as the top leagues and equal and often slightly better than uh like double-a teams if you have familiarity with minor league baseball um former major leaguers tend to find their way into that league the top prospects uh, sort of former top prospects who have uh, worked their way back out of minor league baseball tend to be doing their bounce back in independent leagues in the atlantic and american uh, frontier league teams have been improving of late quite a bit and are generally seen to be somewhere between high a and double a talent levels most of days there's a little bit of fluctu- fluctuation day to day based on kind of weird things like who's on the mound you know the quality of uh, a team at a baseball game can really just be affected by who your starting pitcher is and who your fifth guy is on the bump so you know always be aware of that meanwhile the pioneer league teams have a lot of undrafted former college players That lately have delivered baseball games at something between a single A and a high level, which is very good from them. That's exactly what you want to see from the Pioneer League. These four leagues are also referred to as MLB partner leagues due to agreements between the leagues and Major League Baseball. But these agreements have not been altogether well received, and many people are skeptical of MLB's motives for roping these leagues to the mothership. So... I and many others continue referring to them as independent baseball leagues. One, out of habit. Two, a little else spite. Just a little, you know, just a little, a little spite. Uh, just a little spite never hurt anybody. Um, and then, I, it, 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 there are pluses. There's, there's a marketing component. It's good to be an MLB partner league. But um, we're going to call them Indie Leagues. It's Indie Ball Nation. Feel me? That's why we're here. Anyway. All this variety and lack of restriction from rigid MLB organizations is what gives Indie Ball the free-flowing excitement and like opportunities to showcase fun environments as well as players, which is what I fell in love with and what we'll be talking about plenty on this channel. Now that all that is out of the way, now that we've moved on from Indie Ball 101, we've already got some catching up to do. So let's take a look at what's been going on in the big four Indie Leagues uh, so far this offseason. We'll be keeping this pretty brief. Uh, There's a lot. There's always a lot going on. There's seven leagues. There's 78 teams, you know? Um, But we'll keep this pretty brief. We'll paint with broad strokes because we have plenty of offseason left. You boy need some content in the future. And we got like episodes that we can uh, really devote to how Pioneer League rosters are coming along and how the Frontier League, uh, you know, transactions or front office juggling will affect things. But for now, let's just go over things, get up to speed a little bit. it won't really go in too much into things like um, the league reviews and previews we'll do and the projections we'll discuss for players and teams. We'll start with the Atlantic League. The Atlantic League playoffs ended with the Lancaster Barnstorms completing a strong second-half push with their third league title and their first since 2014. The legend's Courtney Hawkins won Player of the Year for the Atlantic League as well as all of indie ball according to Baseball America. He is now heading to Japan for 2023. Good for you, big man. Meanwhile, Daryl Thompson took home his second consecutive pitcher of the year award for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, and that's obvious. He's gross. Go check out Daryl Thompson. If you're anywhere remotely near a Southern Maryland Blue Crabs game, you can line it up. Go see Daryl. You got to do it while you still can. The man's grang Doesn't matter he'll pitch at 75, because the disgustingness that comes from his hand is blessed by God, and we're blessed by God to be seeing that. You feel me? That's between us and the Lord why Daryl Thompson's hanging out with us, but he's doing it, and that's good for you and me. Shortly after the season, the Lexington Legends were sold uh, and the one-year Wild Health Genomes who were playing in that same ballpark as the Legends would be officially folded in favor of Frederick, a Frederick, Maryland team that will share a ballpark with the draft league's Frederick Keys. Now, this is going to be the final year for this shuffling, which has sort of happened in the Atlantic League while they wait for uh, Hagerstown, Maryland to have a new ballpark built so that they can put their 10th team into that ballpark. Uh, Though there are rumors that Frederick may be considering you know an Atlantic League move on a more permanent basis which is interesting to track for a few reasons one yeah, it would then require likely uh further Atlantic League expansion unless the team is leaving the Atlantic League gotta have an even number of teams um but also interesting because I haven't seen a ton of excitement in Frederick Maryland and around Frederick and around the organization for this Atlantic League team to come in um which is fascinating that could be a marketing strategy that could be doing a delayed run and an announcement for that but um so we're not going to judge too harshly at this point, but it's something to keep an eye on. because uh, There wasn't a lot of excitement in Lexington for the Genomes, and that was a bit of a train wreck. If you followed AOP Roundup last year, y'all know what's up. If not, we'll talk on it another day. Looking uh, elsewhere around the league, well, I guess in Lexington, really, because they did have two managers managing two teams, and now there's a shakeup. So the Legends manager, P.J. Phillips, is hanging to the Frontier League's New Jersey Jackals. Well, the Genomes manager, Mark Minakazi, is on the move to a yet-to-be-announced destination. Elsewhere, Rick Forney replaces longtime New York manager Mark Mason as Barry Lyons grabs the Lexington managing job that was vacated by PJ. In the American Association, since Fargo-Moorhead clinched their first league title over Milwaukee in walk-off fashion, the league has announced that they will be adding a pitch clock for 2023, something the Frontier League and Pioneer League will do also uh the lincoln salt dogs have brought in shane Tritz as their new gm the winnipeg Goldeyes eyes made a splash are bringing greg taggart taggart he's already spent 16 years with the gary south shore railcats and include three league titles one of which was the 2013 american association championship so they're bringing in a vet who knows his business to the team in winnipeg he takes over for rick forney who left for that york job that was vacated by mark mason in the frontier league the quebec capitale Capitales capitals 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 quebec Quebec. Sorry, dude. French? What are we doing? What are we doing? Don't get me started on the trois Rivier situation. It's not going to be pretty anytime I decide how I'm going to pronounce it. All right. So if we're in the French-Canadia situation, just buckle up. You're going to be mad. Leave a comment. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, you and I, you can just not like it. It's okay. And maybe you'll get it right eventually. But whether I can go to Canada is already a little up in the air because your boy likes to have a good time. And uh, so it doesn't really affect me much. So Oops. Um, But yeah, until, of course, Quebec, you know, is the best team in the Frontier League. That's tough. This is a whole sidebar. We probably shouldn't have gotten into it episode one. Regardless, they finished a wild ride. Quebec did. Uh, Quebec. I'll give you that. Quebec. All right. Uh, They finished a wild ride that began way back in 2019 when they had an uncharacteristically bad final year in the Can-Am League. Um, they, They didn't finish well. They're typically a very good team. Um, wheels kind of fell off injuries happened just things didn't come together um but they did score a top giraffe pick out of that which is good for them and they moved into the frontier league like the rest of the can am did um, after not playing in 2020 and then playing sort of half of 2021 they played as equip uh quebec quebec uh which half the season they had to be a travel team because of regulations with uh the canadians uh, the team returned with a vengeance and grabbed the frontier league title back in 2022 it was a very long extended like sort of rebuild slash a full build it was, it was a very it, it's hard to even call it a rebuild when you almost have to strip down and restart the team in many ways so it was a very impressive job. I had the chance to meet Quebec GM Patrick Scalabrini at a Black Sox event. Uh, Canadian baseball guy through and through. Uh, that Black Sox, anything Black Sox, that's something we'll talk more on down the road because it's a fascinating piece of indie ball. The real indie ball of indie ball. I love it. Um, I think Joe Torre, uh not the Joe Torre you're thinking of, unless you are thinking of that, Joe Torre, in which case I should be doing this video and probably a car uh, live like he does. Uh, thats uh, He's someone I want to have on down the road as a guest. But it was enlightening to hear from Pat Scalabrini. Just uh, how... They use the lockdown years effectively, uh, how quick the turnaround had to be so they could defend their 2022 title in 2023. Frontier League has very inter- interesting roster rules where guys can, in many ways, not literally, but essentially age out of the league in, uh, in certain situations. So it's constantly shuffling and figuring out, okay, how do I rebuild this roster in a way that can legally, within league rules, come back next year. So it's been fascinating to see what they're doing. Uh, The league's pitcher of the year from Quebec, Miguel Cienfuegos, great name, and MVP Tri-Cities Brantley Bell were both signed by the San Diego Padres last year. They went on a little shopping trip for themselves, or last month rather, last year too, count it. Um, There's been a lot of movement of managers in the Frontier League, the the Florence, we'll just go into all, we'll sort of do it list style, right? The Florence Yalls replaced manager Brian White with former pitching coach Chad Rose. Chad's the dude, he's got a mustache. I like that vibe for Florence. The Lake Erie Crushers named Jared Lemieux as their new manager and director of baseball ops. The Windy City Thunderbolt seemed longtime MLB vet Richie Saxon, that big sexy from the Northwest, who is still talked about in Wilmington, Delaware, where I used to work, for how he took over the 1995, yes, 1995, Carolina League Championship Series for the Kinston Indians, R.I.P. Kinston Indians, against the Blue Rocks as their new 2023 manager. Man, daggered that championship series absolutely ripped it out the blue rocks had nasty pitching staff sex didn't care whatsoever now they're putting him in a pitcher-friendly park so you know it might be a little bit uh pitcher-friendly situations is not something he's a stranger to based on that championship series i think richie might have an interesting challenge in front of him with the thunderbolts but i'd like to see what he's going to do as I mentioned previously, P.J. Phillips is the new manager of the New Jersey Jackals, the 2021 Atlantic League champion manager in his first season in the Atlantic League. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does. I believe he also won in his first year. He was a player manager uh, with, uh, did it, did it? V- nope. I always forget the name. The V Team. Pacific Association. Don't blame me. They're not around anymore. I can tell. Vasalia. Vasalia Did it. Did the thing. Um. He was managing them uh, back in the Pacific Association's very first season as manager. So we'll see if he goes three for three in first seasons in leagues managing winning championships. That's something to watch. The Sussex County Miners named Chris Widger is their new manager. His former manager, Bobby Jones, will now run baseball operations for both the Jackals and Miners. That's something to watch moving forward. And the forever traveling Empire State Korea speaking of things we need to watch moving forward. I think a lot of people both inside and outside of the Frontier League were a little bit surprised that they are returning after historically poor 2022. They won like less than 10 games. Uh, They will now be led by former York Revolution manager Mark Mason. That's something we'll follow because he is certainly a manager with a strong resume. But boy, was that team dreadful last year. So we'll see what Mark can put together. It's a lot of bus trips for you, Mark. Something else to keep an eye on is the Jackals move into the currently being renovated historic Hinchcliffe Stadium. Tons of money being put into it. Former Negro League Park. Very, very cool situation throwback shape it's got like that polo grounds feel to it sort of in the way you got to align the field to make sure you can play some ball in it that has the potential to be very cool very historic very important for the culture and society around there but there are plenty of red flags including the design of the place as a multi-use facility and the city of patterson where the ballpark is located moving on from all the changes within the frontier league let's talk about the pioneer league who just completed their second indie ball campaign after being cut loose from affiliation during the pandemic other than re-signings and picked-up contract options, there's not too much that's happened since the Grand Junction Rockies knocked off the Missoula Paddleheads to win the championship last September. Glancing at the headlines here, the rockies they finally rebranded to the Grand Junction Jackalopes, which is one of my favorite new like logo sets in the indie leagues. Go check it out if you can give it a shot. Like, You find it anywhere, website, social media, whatever. Uh, The Rockies name, that held on longer than I think many of us expected after they were no longer affiliated with the Colorado Rockies, which is kind of a weird vibe, but I'm glad they took the time, got this jackalib set up right. It looks pretty good. Um, Beyond that, Missoula's big moose at first, Jason Newman. He was named MVP, while the Billings' Mustang starter, Elijah Gill, claimed the league's pitcher of the year title. Also noteworthy, Billings' longtime GM Gary Roller retired from his role with the club. Glancing at the group of three, as I guess I'm calling them for now, I'm still deciding how I want to land on that. Uh, there's not a ton to discuss, but as a reminder, in the United Shores League, the Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers pulled off a slight upset of those Utica Unicorns to claim the 2022 title. In the Empire League, it was the Tupper Lake River Pigs beating the Plattsburgh Thunderbirds to win the championship, and the league announced that their new team name in Malone, or their new team in Malone, New York, would be named the Malone Borderhounds. Solid name, kind of like the vibe. Logo seems chillin'. Uh, Finally, in the Pecos League, the Roswell Invaders won the league title over the Tucson Saguaros for their fourth title in 12 years. As far as what to expect for the rest of the offseason, transactions for all leagues will start to increase in pace from now until each opening day. I'm looking forward to league previews and projections for as many players as possible, for as many teams as I can get to, ahead of doing some season preview episodes for each of the leagues. You can follow along during uh, episodes with how projections are going or on social media as that all comes together as well. For those wondering uh, about those opening days and their dates, well the Atlantic League opening day is the fir- is the first one of the indie leagues is on April 28th as they start their 126 game season, that's the longest in all of indie ball. The American Association's 100 game schedule and the Frontier League's 96 game slate will both get underway 2 weeks later on May 11th. And just about 2 weeks after that, we'll see action in the Pioneer League on May 23rd as each of those teams play the first of their 96 scheduled games. Elsewhere in indie ball, the United Shores League will get their 33-game season going on May 19th. The Pecos League is set to get underway with their 50-ish game season on May 25th. And then, uh, though I couldn't find a complete schedule for the Empire League at this time, opening day is on the calendar for June 9th. Though there's plenty of time until all those opening days, there are some storylines to watch here, such as how Frederick will come together in the Atlantic League, what Hinchcliffe Stadium will look like for the Jackals in the Frontier, and the Pioneer League's Northern Colorado Owls, who I haven't mentioned, they're still looking for a manager, so that's just to name a few things to keep an eye on here. We have lots of time to dive into that and assess all those stories and more in the future, and believe me, we will. This episode so far has been very much ripping through rapid fire, talking details, talking about, hey, this is what's happened here, like, not in details, I guess it's broad strokes type of thing. Uh, most episodes are going to be a little more relaxed, casual, um, Paced out a little bit more slowly so we can dive into some things but I just want to make sure hey let's get up to speed here let's rip through everything we missed so that we can talk about things as they come and we're not playing catch up for weeks here on Indie Ball Nation slowing down the whole thing you know so moving on a little bit of business talk uh, I like to add a little bit of business talk into each episode hopefully that's sort of the the idea at least either a, a guest or someone else who who can kind of talk to us so I'm going to be talking about one of the hottest topics in Baseball, let alone independent baseball, someone something I'm asked about all the time. Something where if I mention I'm interested and I do a show in baseball, the next question from especially non-baseball people is, "Do you know the Savannah Bananas? Have you seen them? Have you followed them on TikTok?" So let's talk about the bananas because the bananas are surprisingly controversial. um If you're a hardcore baseball guy, I, I am willing to predict you're not a fan. um If you're not, I'm willing to predict you are. And that's been, for the most part, the divide. It's not 100%, but that's what I found. Um, As a fan of baseball business, I love them. As a fan of baseball, ah, I don't know how to feel. Um, I guess we should start the conversation talking about some of the things that the bananas do right, uh, which is a lot. Things that should be, I believe, also emulated, uh, for the most part, by many teams. I I do. I love. I eat up baseball business talk. I love that kind of thing. So uh, I tend to think of myself as not maybe an expert. But. I know a lot about baseball marketing and branding and things like that. So allow me if you don't mind. I mean, I don't need to pull my resume out. It's weirdly short, but it's also like weirdly in depth for someone covering in the league baseball. But that's a different combo for another day. Check my LinkedIn. It's not up to date. Um, but to the point, uh, things I've noticed I mean, the obvious thing that they do is their marketing is incredible. Their social media works incredible. Million plus, by far, million plus TikTok followers. Uh, folk, they have a deal with ESPN now. Um, if you don't know, their team that played in the collegiate summer cycle down there um, with a few other sort of localish teams. Uh, Then they identified during the pandemic since that league wasn't playing, they ended up doing this game banana ball that they kind of put on by themselves between them and another team that built called the party animals, which have a good vibe. Um, and, And it became profitable enough and sort of big enough and enough an attention grabber that after last season, they decided they would no longer be pursuing the collegiate summer ball angle and only be doing banana ball hosted out of the stadium down there in Savannah, Georgia, as well as going on tour and playing many teams, especially indie ball teams, since indie ball teams have a more flexibility to play, uh, actually play the bananas uh, or the party animals. So, uh, you know, if you have a minor league team, your affiliate, talk about the fun you can and can't have based on being an indie ball or not. Uh, if you're an affiliate team, good luck convincing the major league club that you want your, the minor leaguers who they've paid many of them a good bit to, play an exhibition banana ball game against this man of bananas uh it doesn't look great so uh beyond that i mean the team is made up of i mean there's usually like a four major league like eric burns is managing them but they'll get some celebs sort of some baseball circle celebs uh some a lot of indie ball guys end not find their way there a lot of former minor leaguers things like that uh tend to be lower level but they do scatter in some higher talent guys and, and that makes up the team but Uh, back to kind of what they really do well, which is uh, they know how to get attention, they know how to trend, they know how to get people viewing them, and they sell merch like crazy. The experience of the Savannah Bananas, in short, is intentional. Um, If you ever bought something from them, if you ever bought tickets or merch or whatever else, it's like, you get a follow-up email, which is like kind of funny and like it feels like a Savannah Bananas like vibe, like talking about like, oh, we're celebrating the office, here's what we're doing, here's a YouTube video of how we're celebrating, like all that stuff. they send you like extra stuff with the merch, like cu- like uh, koozies and things like that, like little things. It's just a fun vibe. The game is exciting. Um, the things that like even if you call their front office with a question, uh, the the every touch point, you know, w- where you meet them and experience them is always upgraded. There's always a little something extra, some Savannah Banana's flavor to it. Exquisitely done, adds to the value. And I think that's something that probably every team could learn from maximizing the value. So it's something that you're doing something different you're not just you know, another team you're and we're dealing with just another fan you're dealing with like those fans are dealing with your team which is their team you love them and you're giving them everything you can and you know economic uncertainty or you know just a lot of entertainment options out there it pushes you to be a value for those fans and something that they really they don't want to let go of they have a fear of missing out on and also you know they feel that you treat them well you value them you value their time and their money and they you know people see that I that's I think that makes sense we go to things that we feel like we got our money worth out of our money's worth and things that you know also is an experience that we don't think we can get it's an experience economy now live shows are doing great as Ticketmaster <laughs> um, so that is stuff they're doing very very well uh, where does it get a little controversial um, well also uh, just to close that the big thing about merch uh, they have a huge merch operation there they do limited merch drops so they don't have extra inventory sitting around um very intelligent way to do it a uh, few things at a time the store all are very attractive so they can send them quick um and then uh, they, they just have a very good understanding that there's only so many games the ticket revenue is limited you can only sell so many tickets to so many games during a year but there's eight billion people on the planet that can wear your shirt that can follow you on tiktok and you get tiktok revenue like all of that stuff is uh the espn3 deal that they now have all that stuff is what can start bankrolling a team when it's hard to run a good profitable indie team right now and Savannah has found a way to do it and that is something that team should be looking at especially as you know hey man you got to support your employees and your community so keep an eye on that now things they're a little controversial about back to that um the move to only banana ball i mean i get it it's an entertaining way to do things i wish and i know a lot of people wish that they did this by you know, showcasing, like I wish they presented as we're showcasing the best of baseball, but they tend to showcase it if you've seen it as like putting down baseball. I mean, this isn't boring baseball. This isn't, you know, and which is true in many respects. Baseball product has changed a lot, but you know, a lot of people still love the game. And I think it would do a lot and it wouldn't hurt them the way they do things to put down baseball a little bit less. I understand they're trying to like knock off the sort of negative thoughts that potential fans who don't like baseball might have to draw them in, and they do a good job of doing that. But at the same time, you know. I feel like, for the most part, if you're a non-baseball fan, Savannah Bananas, unfortunately, it's not a bridge to baseball. It is an alternative, which is not great for baseball as a whole. Uh, specific to indie ball, they do grab up players. Uh, I've heard from four general managers now that they have lost players to Savannah Bananas. That is something that never would have happened previously. That is insane. Does that say something about maybe how indie leagues should work a little harder to keep their guys and to spotlight them and to lift them up and to get them out? Uh, yes. Uh, does that say something about how there are a lot of players who would just rather do make the most of the spotlight with Savannah? Yes, fine. And you know, are other guys who just, you know, aren't hungry for what Indie Ball presents, but they like, they get paid well with Savannah and they, you know, it's a more laid back vibe and that's how they rather make their money? Yes, fine. Do your thing. Cool. But, you know, from an Indie ball side of things, that is not necessarily a net gain <laughs> for Indie Ball as it goes. Uh, and then beyond that the other complication people should be aware of and we talked about the black socks earlier but it's not just them Uh, you know it it is a lot of these teams when they bring in the bananas are replacing spring training games the spring training games would have been against maybe other teams in a league or another league both of which are important sort of connecting um, experiences if they're done right and marketed right and appropriately which is another toss-up but we'll deal with that Um, but beyond that you also run to games against like The Black Sox are the traveling sort of teams, which would have given opportunities to guys to showcase their talent, and now they're not getting that opportunity. Um, Even if we're looking at the rosters, uh, I don't know how they're going to use rosters in these banana ball games. If a guy comes in and gets a hit uh, in banana ball, you know, a guy who's trying to gain a spot and trying to earn a spot and show that what he's capable of on a stage he doesn't really get very often. Uh, like We're talking like guys who are barely on the roster, maybe not on the roster, fighting for spots what does that mean uh what does that mean relative to hitting a double off of a blue crabs pitcher if you're one of these teams bringing in somebody or a black Sox pitcher if you hit it off of a guy sort of thrown between his legs uh if you hit it off of bill lee yes the Bill Lee you're thinking of uh who occasionally throws the bananas, what does that do um what does that say does that help you and i think that's something that is you know worth looking at is not necessarily that positive now I'm not going to come down on the bananas. I do think they are probably a net positive for baseball. That's my opinion, personally. Um, however, I wish there were some things that they tweaked, but I think they are setting an important model for how to do things. A lot of guys tell me when I talk to baseball people and people in baseball circles, I don't want to do what the bananas do. Okay, don't put your players in kilts. Don't dance on the field. Cool, respect the game. Inside the lines, we know what we're doing. But there's no reason that you can't take what's in outside the lines that the bananas do and replicate it and do it great. And if you have better talent on the field, boom, that's more power to you. And then you can start moving merch and making the money that they make and you know setting the model for things so those are my thoughts on that i want to know what you think if you're watching right now drop it in the comments drop it reply on twitter uh let me know i'm interested to see what you think maybe we'll go over some of the better responses to it sort of closing the loop next time this sort of pace of this bananas conversation by the way is a little bit more of what i think we'll be doing on this pod Uh, but I appreciate you hanging with me for the first like 20 minutes of just absolutely uh, cooking through off-season details. That is not the norm, but I appreciate you bearing with me as I try to really kick through as much off-season detail as possible without letting the ADD get in and just sidetrack the whole thing, which it only kind of did. Now, let's look ahead here. We're about wrapped up. Um, Looking ahead to our next episode on Friday, and beyond that, It is going to be another solo show, but we'll begin having guests on most Friday shows starting next week when Indie Ball Report's Nick Firestone will be joining me. I'm very excited about that. Indie Ball Report is a great show. Uh, You should check it out. It's on almost every platform I can think of as podcast, so go check it out. Indie Ball Report. Um, Go ahead and uh, just give them a listen. I love them. They've been a key inspiration and collaborator with me over the last three years, and uh, we're excited to be working together a whole lot more than now that I'm covering all of Indie Ball not just the Atlantic League. I may need to clear some space for that since I've been we've I've been on that show like three or four times and I think we've gone long every time. Or it's like an hour. It's an hour and 40. Like, oof, all right, my bad, bro. Uh, I can't imagine. But apparently people said that was good on there. I don't know, my bad. I just talk and that's how that goes um, down the rabbit hole. As you can tell, it's a danger. Uh, Friday, that isn't entirely a solo show, by the way. Perhaps it just occurs to me because I did ask my social media followers what they would change if they could change anything if they if they ran baseball if they took over indie ball rather what would they change about it whether it's about a league or indie ball as a whole uh, and we'll kind of dig into what's practical what's not what's a good idea but we can't pull it off things like that um there's four categories you know what i mean can do it and it's a good idea can do it bad idea can't do it but it is a good idea can't do it and it's a bad idea all of those options so we'll kind of have to scale those a little bit maybe maybe there'll be a graph maybe there'll be a visual uh visual aid for the squad um Anyway, so, yeah, we're going to keep that going. That's going to be a fun time. Uh, You can probably still hop in on social media if you have some feedback for me on that one. Um, We'll keep doing these shows Monday and Friday. I find that once the season begins, we can definitely use up Mondays, which are usually the off days for most leagues, uh, by deep diving into the action of the past week, what's coming up, um, you know, on field, a lot of on-field talk about what's going on there. Then Fridays can be a brief recap of the series from the week and maybe an interview plus discussions of other indie ball topics. So, So we'll kind of structure like that, at least for now. I mean, all the best laid plans, you know. Uh, What to expect for the rest of the offseason? Well, for the offseason, we'll be discussing the signings, coaching changes, player spotlights, analytics and projections. If you know AOP Roundup, you know I'm super into the projections. I love analytics. I love working in the data. So that's something that I sort of have specialized in over this time. So we'll be definitely looking at that, uh, as well as the off the field stuff, ranging from the business to some more fun topics that will let us shake some things up with all of that to look forward to. That is all I have for the first episode of Indie Ball Nation. I'll try to keep these. I know they're going to get longer as the season starts up, so I'm going to try to keep you know half hour-ish on a lot of these, um, a lot of these off-season episodes, unless you know there's going to be a guest, which case we'll spread out a little more. But um, that's the first episode of Indie Ball Nation. Thank you for watching. Thank you for supporting. Uh, I-, I love everyone who watches the show. I'm always impressed that you know guys check in at this show. Well, AOP roundup, the artist formerly knows AOP roundup. Um, but yeah thank you for following thank you for uh the fun interactions of social media uh if you haven't yet subscribe and turn on some notifications on youtube how legit is that like a real youtuber i hate myself uh follow on twitter follow on instagram as well all accounts are just indie ball nation which is exciting because i had a bunch of variation in the aop roundup stuff it drove me crazy like when is there an underscore hate that shouldn't be an underscore. that was a bad move by ryan also Keep an eye out. This is something that I'm excited about. Keep an eye out for a revamped website. That's not been the priority during the rebrand from ALP Roundup. uh, But I do think I now know how I want to start using the website. So that'll be, uh, I'll keep you up to date as that comes along. they are going to have some fun stuff hosted there. And uh, lastly, this will be, I believe this is going to be on YouTube only, but I will be getting these in the next couple of weeks onto all, uh, hopefully all major uh, podcasting platforms. So I'll keep you posted. There's a little graphic there of where you can find Indie Ball Nation, but I'll also try to keep an updated sort of list or graphic somewhere of where you can find the pod uh, once it is a pod and not just a YouTube show. But until then, once again, thank you for tuning into Indie Ball Nation. It means a lot to me. Episode one is in the books until Friday. Keep on grinding. Indie Ball grinders out here. Don't be afraid to be independent. Have a day. January 2nd this is like a bonus new year's day y'all enjoy it get away from the family run take to the woods hide out a while we got time hunker down till the season starts it's not weird it's totally normal it's okay tell your job you're not coming in you got things to worry about like who's going to play middle infield for your favorite weird anonymous indie ball team tell them that see how it goes i promise they'll probably be fine maybe maybe don't listen to me. y'all have a good one i may not have a lot, but i love what i got a 4x4 four four and a good fishing spot I hope this time my card won't decline